Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hi, this is comedian and depressed alcoholic James Nokise, and you're listening to Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower, a podcast about headspace and happiness. From my safe place, the shower, with fried chicken. This episode, I'm talking to scientist, author, and educator, Nano Girl, aka Dr. Michelle Dickinson. We'll chat about the science of smell. Taste is all about smell. Right. So that way I can sniff your real chicken and then eat my fake chicken. The science of sound. <laughs> chicken. <laughs> and the science of stress. I learned no food because um, my response to fear and public speaking is to throw up. Oh, um, right. So I'm very sorry, Aotea Centre, for that time you may have found vomit in your curtain. Some of this will get a bit real. The language, the subjects... So make sure you're in a safe space with your comfort food and join us eating fried chicken in the shower. My first question is, do you feel like a bit of a misfit <laughs> of science? Oh, totally. Yeah. And I wish I didn't. I wish science was more creative. I wish science was more about and we call it edutainment, but yeah. more about entertainment. And you could take it seriously as well. I wish there were more women in science and engineering. I wish there were more people from low socioeconomic backgrounds. So, you know, that's my history. And yeah, sometimes I do feel like I haven't had the normal entry into the pathway. But um, it's cool to be a misfit. Well, you're on the right show here at Eating Fried Chicken Shout. What? What? Because you even even with the chicken, uh, you are the first uh, guests to request uh, two types of chicken. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us about what chicken we're having today? Okay. So, look, I'm really passionate about the environment. I'm mm. passionate about education. Mm. I feel like you should be a role model. So, I am what we call vaguely vegan. Vaguely vegan. So, I am vegan at home. Mm -hmm. I hate being a trouble to people. <laughs> so, yeah. if you invite me over for dinner, I will say I have no dietary requirements because I don't want you to have to do special stuff for me. And I'll try and pick up the lettuce. But, you know, if the only thing on offer is bacon, I'll eat it. But at home, I'm definitely vegan it's almost britishly vegan. <laughs> like i just so i don't like, want to bother you no, i don't I'm, want to bother I'm, you but i i'm vegan otherwise and so i have vegan chicken excellent but i bloody love meat it tastes so good it smells so good can i say bloody on radio music? oh yeah you okay can, yeah just checking no no you can you can swear your ass off um and so what i've done is bought you real chicken yeah because i can then trick my olfactory receptors right which yeah. are the bits inside your nose because mm -hmm. taste is all about smell Right. So that way I can sniff your real chicken, it's a science experiment, and then eat my fake chicken. And so you and get the best of both worlds. <laughs> eating the real thing. Right. So Yet still being vaguely vegan. Right. There you go. Okay, well, let's give it a shot. Let's okay. get into it. Okay. So I'm going to take a bite out of this okay, very non-chickeny chicken. And I'm going to bite whatever chicken. No, no, no wait. I have to right. sniff it. Oh, you have to sniff it? Oh, right. so good. It's know. not bad. Not bad. I mean, it's not chicken. But let me smell yours again. Mm. Oh, it's so good. See? It's good. Know. I like that. Mm. And this is not bad for whatever it's made out of. 
Don't ask. Oh, I'm, 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 for it. That's probably actually your job is to ask. Mm, I don't want to know sometimes. You don't want to know? Anything deep fried is good though, isn't it? <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> so, Try and explain that. That's good. But yeah, that works. So sniff real chicken if mm. you're a vegan mm. and then eat fake chicken and it tastes way better. <laughs> Obviously somebody else had to, you know, kill an animal for you. Someone had to. Yeah. Sort of not really vegan principles, is it? Well, I mean, it depends how much you like chickens. I think if you hate chicken. Then you can. Yeah. I brought, so I brought you this to make you feel guilty because, yeah. um, you know, I'm all about science mm. and experimenting with science. So as you can think about your chicken and how some poor animal or bird has died, mm. um, I brought you this. So this is... Um, it's a cup. It's a cup mm-hmm. with a piece of string and a toothpick. Okay. Um, and I do this with kids, but you're pretty much a kid. So here I'm very go. much so. Um, this is a little science experiment that you can do at home. You just need a disposable cup, paper or plastic, piece mm-hmm. of string... Put a hole in the bottom of the cup, take a wet paper towel, and what you do is you squeeze the paper towel down the string, mm-hmm. and it should make a sound like a <laughs> chicken. <laughs> so, would you like a go? Yeah. All right, squeeze, yes. Squeeze that and pull down. Okay. <laughs> Somehow my chicken's constipated, and I'm very <laughs> un- good. We'll keep into the theme. Fried chicken in the shower. I brought you a plastic. You bought me a chicken cup. In the shower. Thank you. Because you have a PhD, right? I know. I'm not using it very well. Am I? <laughs> but what is your actual like? Because there's heaps of sciences. What's your actual science? So I am formally trained as an engineer with a PhD specialising in engineering and nanotechnology. Right, and so chicken cup. Like, Not the same, is it? Really? Well, I mean, that's it. Is it people feel it? like I've wasted my knowledge in my People degree. feel like you wasted your knowledge. I have a university <laughs> degree and I eat chicken in a shower. You're fine, mate. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. it, but do you like, is your brain wired? Like, is that, here's the thing. Sometimes I'll do things artistically. Mm-hmm. And they'll go, how, how did you do that? How did your brain? And I just go, oh, well, my brain just sees that as normal. Yeah. Is that the same with your brain? Like, you're wired to have, like, nanotechnology in your head, but be able to use that to come up with a cup that makes a chicken noise. So I actually really sucked at school and at university because it's very theoretical yeah. and I really struggled. And so the way for me to keep up and try and catch up mm. was always to try and build models of the stuff. So when I was learning about atoms and I had some professor be like, blah, 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 atoms. Yeah. And I was like, but I want to see them. And they're like, you can't, they're invisible. And I'm like, well, my brain needs to think about it. So I went out and I bought a hundred ping pong balls. And I glued them all to each other to make the atomic structures that he was trying to explain to me. And I was like, oh, okay, this is simple. If I can just hold it and feel it and turn it around, I understand now what they were trying to say. And I took it into my class and it was like, oh, and I realized that everybody else in my class didn't understand what was going on either. And so I realized that my little skill set was to be able to physically build things to help explain what's invisible science to most, like sound waves and vibrations, so that you can experiment and see it in a different way and experience it in a different way to hopefully help you understand it a bit more. That's a, that's a type of learning that we know that mm. now, because like, not, to, not to put a number on your age, but you're, you're at high school, like me at least, back in a time when you don't have iPads None of those or things. even like visual models. None of those things, yeah. And it's called kinesthetic learning. Right. Nobody in school says, oh, you're a kinesthetic learner. Well, not where I went to school. They said, you can't write that essay. Say you're yeah. a failure. I'm like, okay. And so you just accept that title and move on. 
Um, yeah, so I was very late in life when I realized that actually making models and making structures of really simple things helped me to explain them to other people and helped me to understand them in my brain. Did that kind of unlock you academically? Oh, massively. Like, it's how I survived through yeah. <laughs> three degrees, which I never would have done otherwise. Yeah, building models and doing very experimental stuff. So there are theoretical scientists out there. That yeah. is not me. They do things in their brains. I don't do that. I build things. I'm an engineer. Is that a bit like in the arts, how there is like people who uh, can do, you know, uh, like comedy or people who can do theatre mm-hmm. or people who do dance and it's all like comes under the arts, but it's just different styles and some people just wired. Totally. I think you're, you're wired to do your thing and what we don't do with our kids and our adults is allow them to just find their thing. Like we have this set of rules which is you must conform you must pass an exam by writing an essay right? mm. but if you're not good at writing essays it doesn't mean you don't know the stuff it just means that maybe you want to express it in a different way and then school really forms your confidence around what you think you can and you can't do yeah and you keep that for life because how old are you when you when you put the ping pong balls together oh like university like i was university. old <laughs> yeah i was old i so yeah i didn't do well in high school at all um, and my first ever job was working in a sports shop selling trainers to people. Um, and so, like, I snuck into university the, the cheat way, which is um, the way you're not supposed to go, which is for failures. Um, so I didn't have the grades to get into university. And right. I got in through a system. In the UK, it's called clearing. Mm-hmm. And it's basically all the leftover courses that they try and fill with people who aren't really qualified to do it. Um, and I was one of those lucky people who got onto a course without the qualifications needed. And, yeah. So, you, a degree. so I shouldn't really have been, I shouldn't have a PhD. So you shouldn't, you shouldn't be there. You shouldn't no. have three degrees. You shouldn't have a PhD. None of those things. But there was a system in the UK that allowed me and I was at, at the right time. I was the last year that was free fees. So university didn't cost me anything. I would oh, never wow. have gone if I had to pay tuition because I just wouldn't have been able to take on that debt. So many people listening to us are hating you right I now know. just for that fees for anything. I know, but actually when you don't have much money, yeah. the thought of taking on debt is so intimidating oh, absolutely. that I would never have gone to university because, number one, I didn't have the grades. And number mm. two, I didn't have the financial means to take on more debt when I didn't think about any way that I could pay that off. Is that your vibe then? Pathways? Is that yeah. the big thing for you? Totally. Our, our big goal at um, my organization is to help kids find their superpowers. <laughs> That's a cool way of putting it. it. So Nana Gill is a superhero and we help explain through science that you can create superpowers through science and that's just one pathway and let's find your superpower. And that may be through reading and writing. If so, great. Life's going to be a little bit easier for you probably because we have pathways for that. But it might be through building something. It might be through taking something apart and breaking something. And uh, when we figure out what your superpower is, your strengths will then help you to realize where in the world you might be able to bring that as an asset. And so, yeah, you might be failing in the school system, but you might be hugely successful somewhere else. And how do we help kids to see that? And showcase role models. If we look at some of the top innovators in the world, Mm -hmm. they all either failed high school or dropped out of college because they weren't academic. They're creative thinkers, they're builders, they're tinkerers. You know, you look at Sir Richard Branson, you look at um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, he failed his PhD, (laughs) you know, like... People who we hold up as really, really smart, actually, they they weren't good with the academic system. And so how do we make sure that our kids don't think that that is the only pathway, but understand that it is one pathway and it's important. But if it's not your thing, there are other ways for you to bring your assets to the world. Eating fried chicken in the shower. The only assets you need are chicken and a shower. You've been doing this for so long. Do you have like a, a rhythm? So you've so I only really take on things that 
bring me joy or okay. enhance our company's mission, which is to educate children or people who wouldn't normally have access. And um, so I'm really strict. It still means I'm really, really busy, but um, that's pretty much the rule. And the second rule is I have to make sure that this time's scheduled for me. Um, and that may be a lot of time. Um, I know when I work really well with people in the day and when I'm, I just need time for me. So actually being able to say to people, do you know what? I'm not going to hang out with you. I'm sorry, but mm. I am at that stage when my busyness, where if I don't just separate from the world and have some me downtime, I'm not going to be able to do this at this speed for the rest of the week. There is an initial social conflict, I think, with, especially with personal friends, when you try and make that me time, though. Like, how do you... How do you get it across to them that it's not a personal thing? You're just in a space where it would be almost detrimental to the friendship to hang out. I do it by not having many friends. <laughs> and that sounds this is terrible. Awesome. No, that's a great way to but do it. I'm, I'm very selective on my friends. My friends are very close. They know me very well. They mm. understand my schedule and my needs. And then I have superficial people. Yeah. who are superficial to me. But my core group of friends is probably five people. Yeah, right. And that's really important. Whereas my husband, who is the biggest extrovert, he'll tell you he has a thousand friends, right? And he yeah. probably doesn't know their last name, but he'll see them in a bar and he'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he has a very different idea of friendship. And the word friendship means something very different for him than it does to me. So for me, I'm very close to a very small group of people and, and we know how each other works and we sort of roll with that. So you're quite deeply introverted. Yes. Like socially awkwardly. So, yeah. yes. Because yeah. I feel quite lucky then because our interactions uh, have been very sociable uh, and, and not, I've never got a sense of withdrawal from you, but I, I sort of realize I've only ever seen you backstage so you, yeah. or, in, or in private, like when we've been touring. Totally. But you've seen me in my performing, like that's my performing job. Yeah. That's my, hey, Michelle, you've got to be on. Yeah. This is my real Michelle, right. which is weird and socially awkward and doesn't really like most people and is quite quiet. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I talk about being an introvert trying to survive in an extroverted world. I couldn't do what I did if I didn't bring my knowledge to the public, perform the way that I do, all of the big energy stuff that you see me do. But that has come through lots of training and me trying to overcome a lot of my introverted fears around public speaking. Um, but yeah, as soon as I'm done at an event, mm. I'm gone burgers. Like I am yeah, not right. the person at the after party. I am like, I'll just go back to my hotel room. Do you find, because I've found this when I stopped drinking, that having a busy work schedule actually becomes a really convenient excuse totally. for not socializing? Sure. Yeah. Is that quite, when you, because with a reputation for work like you have, you go, hey guys, sorry, I've got to get on to the next thing. Yeah. Totally. It's a great excuse. Sorry to all those people who call me and say I'm busy. <laughs> I actually didn't want to hang out with you. Or, but yeah, no, it is. It is a good excuse. And we shouldn't need an excuse, mm. right? I should be able to say, hey, sorry, mental health time, not coming out. But no, I will say, oh, I've got to get up early or it's been a busy day or yeah. But no, it's weird being an introvert. And I, you know, I try and talk about it openly because there are so many people. I think introverts make the best speakers in public. Why so? Because they're so freaking out that they think about their content. Um, I was once on stage with a very extroverted technical speaker and I watched him prepare for his talk. And he sat in the green room and he drank beer and he ate chips and he did all his push-ups. And he was all about <laughs> elevating his heart rate to be like, to go on stage and be like, Wah! right? And I am like, silent headphones, 
classical music, mm. no food. I learned no food because um, my response to fear in public speaking is to throw up. All oh, right. Um, so I'm very sorry, AOTA Center, for that time. You may have found vomit in your curtain. <clears throat> <laughs> that was me. That was the day I learned that lesson. I'm sorry. Um, I suddenly just rolled it around and hid it in. But anyway, um, so I am not an eater before, which I learned. Um, I um, try and bring my heart rate down. I try and because I'm so nervous, I just try and get control of everything. And yet on stage, you wouldn't have known that we would have had polar opposite sort of approaches to how mm. we came on stage. But he, because he was so confident, hadn't thought about his talk. And it was a very general, yeah, this is tech, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And everybody said to me, I loved your talk because you really thought about us. And mm. you gave me the details in the talk that I was looking for. I didn't feel like you just turned up to show yourself. I felt like you had written something curated for me, the audience. And I see that in a lot of introverted speakers as we actually spend the time because we are, we tend to be deep thinkers and we tend to worry about other people's perceptions of us, that we will spend the time to deliver content that is for the people. Mm. Whereas a lot of people who love being on stage and love the attention mm. are doing it for that love of the attention. And, and mm. so their content, although they think it's great, isn't necessarily as great for the audience. So Nano Girl came about because of my fear of public speaking. Mm. Um, I, was, I realized I was gonna give my first ever talk in public. Mm. And um, that was 2012, so not that long ago. Yeah. I was a grown-up. Yeah. Um, and I freaked out, as you would, as an introvert who's never really done public speaking before. So I went to see a friend of mine, and they said, well, what actors do is they pretend to be somebody else. And I was like, oh, that's smart. Um, I never did drama at school because I'm not that sort of kid. And I said, oh. So she said, write down your list of traits of who you would like to be on stage, not who you are. And I was like, yeah, I want to be like Wonder Woman, superpowers, blah, blah, blah. And wrote all these cool superpower things. And at the same time, I was going to schools and talking to kids about nanotech and what I do as a job. And they were like, oh, you need a superhero name. I'm like, yeah. I was like, what would that be? And they were like, you're Nano Girl. And so a bunch of eight-year-olds yeah. named Nano Girl as this thing. And then I was like, that's a good name. So my invisible superhero to help me on stage was called Nano Girl. And it ended up being my, my worst fear, mm. literally out for everybody as a name yeah. when I was performing stuff. So it's a weird, yeah, it's basically my fear of public speaking in a name named by eight-year-olds. That's good superhero origin story, though. It's cool, there, hey. Because you, you can't pick the name yourself. Okay. You've got to be named. Yeah, and so eight-year-old kids wanted to be Nano Girl because they're girls and that was the word they used and you know i was like cool let's go and what's cool is now we have a whole bunch of boys wearing nano girl t-shirts yeah awesome and the first year we tried to put t-shirts out the boys were like oh no i'm not wearing something with the word girl on it and mm. we'd be like well did you like her superpowers like yeah she was awesome i'm like have you ever worn a superman shirt They're like yeah and like do the girls wear superman shirts like yeah i'm like so why wouldn't you wear a nano girl shirt They're like we don't know <laughs> and now all the boys are totally fine with wearing the nano girl stuff awesome so it was cool to sort of shift that dynamic. You are passionate. Like your whole, there's a co-puppet, Nano Girl. It's children. It's, it's science and children. There's a reason for that. So I am evidence-based. I'm a scientist. I'm a researcher. And the research shows very clearly that girls make their decision about science by the age of 12. And 80% of the schools that we go to in New Zealand don't teach any science at all because it's not compulsory for our primary school curriculum. And so I realized that our girls and all of our kids making decisions in their life without having great experiences of that thing. And so for me, if we're gonna build this amazing pipeline of people who wanna get into tech and science and all of these things, we have to build strong foundations. 
And so I want to make sure that by the age of 12, when they're making these decisions, that they have a great relationship with science and tech. They know what it is. They know what it is in context to them, their culture. So we have a program called Matatoa, which is our Te Reo Māori science putayao program where we take Māori myths and legends and we bring them to life with life science. And so we're all about helping people connect to their stories and their ancestry and see what science means to them. And my opinion is if you can build a really strong foundation and you know the evidence says you have to do this before the age of 12. We do other programs too for older kids, but Mm. our core is making sure that our kids have great roots in what science means to them and it's a positive experience. Do you know of an introvert that is as publicly engaging as you are? Oh, so many. Yeah? Yeah, Bill Nye the Science Guy is totally weird and introverted. Oh, for real? Massively. I did enjoy Um, this John Oliver clip. Adam and Jamie from Mythbusters, weirdest, weird, I love them, but yeah. weird and introverted. Oh, right. Um, yeah, there's heaps of them. In fact, most of us are kind of weirdly introverted. Eating fried chicken in the shower, feeling introverted, stay at home and find us online. And with all the things that you've done with breaking through, um, you know, the barriers that you've broken through with science and children's entertainment, but also with your own barriers of public speaking, what's your attitude these days to risk? How do you approach it? I have a bit of a motto, motto which is um, take risks. Mm-hmm. If you win, you're happy. Yeah. And if you lose, you're wise. <laughs> right? Because you never, I always say that success is a terrible teacher. Mm. If you win every single time, you don't learn the lessons than when you totally stuff it up. Right, because stuffing up and getting things wrong and failing is number one a big part of science and engineering. It's mm-hmm. how we we figure out what's going on, but also it's a way to actually say I'm not going to get everything right every time. So it's okay to try stuff, knowing that if it succeeds, cool, bonus. But if it doesn't, I would have learned so much more from this failure. So I say take risks, and I don't think we're big risk takers because we're afraid of failing, especially in front of people. Mm-hmm. And New Zealand isn't very forgiving with people who fail. Yeah. Um, if you look at how our startup industry is, you know, we invest in people, and if they fail, we say, well, you're obviously you're terrible at startups, and we do it somewhere else. In Silicon Valley, where I used to work, a VC will invest in a person seven or ten times before their venture is successful. Because mm-hmm. every time they had a business that failed, mm-hmm. they would have learned so much that it's worth reinvesting with that person than trying to start with somebody new. And so I think it's really important to allow people to fail and to celebrate failure a little bit more rather than to criticize failure. Because if you fail mm-hmm. and then you show everybody how much you stuffed up, you're like, hey, look at this, this is awful. Everybody gets to learn from that. This is the basis of my entire stand-up career. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it like him. But it's so true. But instead, what we do is we hide it under the carpet, trying to be perfect, trying to be this person on social that we're probably not. And everybody thinks that our lives are amazing and nothing ever goes wrong. But things that go wrong are the reason why we're here. Like, it's the good bits. I mean, I I failed part of my degree (laughs) because I had to present in public and I couldn't do it. So you have to do this fourth year project, present. And do you know what came out of my mouth? Mm. Nothing. Do you know how many points you get from nothing coming out of your mouth? Zero. So me, I bring props. Awesome. It's my thing because then you're holding something and you're not doing this (laughs) and it diverts the attention from you. So I always bring props to public speaking because it allows me to divert that energy. So nobody's looking at me. They're looking at the thing. And it's simple stuff. But yeah, I wish I learned that at undergrad because, yeah, I would have done much better. (laughs) 
Michelle will do better as well. All of my reports. Michelle, Michelle will do better. Yeah. And when I hear about you talk about like education systems and that, like it's not like you're throwing shade, but is there is there what is your relationship with with education and with with schools and with academia? Look, it works for some kids, and I'm probably not helping those kids. So I get joy by seeing kids who probably wouldn't have made it through the system realize that there are other options for them to make it through the system. Can I ask what doesn't bring you joy? I The thing that doesn't bring me joy, and I'm seeing so much of it right now, is people on social media mm. pretending to be something that they're not. So claiming to be experts in something, having this huge following, having this mantra of, yes, this is me, and you know them, mm. and you know that everything they're putting on there is not a true reflection of actually where their heart is or what they're actually doing. They're putting it up there to get more followers, to get more people to like them. Mm. Um, and I'm really struggling right now with social media and this perception of experts and this perception of we should celebrate this person because, and actually mm. when you look deeper down in them, there's not much joy there. Mm. And just because you have 100,000 followers doesn't mean your life is filled with joy. And I really worry about, you know, social media and followings and people trying to show that there's something that they're not and not being their true authentic self. You get what you see with me. I'm authentic. What, what do you do to um, get your head calm, get yourself? Yes. Like so when, when, when you get that anger or any of that? I am. Um, <laughs> I do adrenaline sports. So (laughs) your quiet time is adrenaline sports. My my quiet time. I'm. I've learned that I am an active relaxer. Mm -hmm. So you can tell me to go meditate. Mm -hmm. I hate that shit. Really? Why? Not a quiet person. No. Well, not a. My head is busy. Not finding your inner inner peace. And so when people say just sit in a room, I'm like going through the list of things in my head that I need to do for the rest of the day, and then I yell at myself in the head, be like, No, 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 you're supposed to be relaxing. Like, okay, relax realize oh did I do that thing I'm like no 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 concentrate relax right (laughs) and I get really like agitated with myself because I can't do it but here's the thing adrenaline sports Mm -hmm. you're always thinking you're going to die (laughs) and what focuses your brain on just the thing in front of you right now is always thinking you're going to die so I do martial arts and I'm a kite surfer um and I throw myself out to sports that literally mean that the only thing you can think about is what you're doing exactly right now give me an example so kite surfing, big waves coming. Do you yeah. know what I need to do is yeah. get onto that wave and ride it without drowning. Great. Right? My whole brain is like, wave, 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 wave. You're alive. Hurrah. And when you finish that, you're like, ah. Oh. And I'm like, and so for that 10 minutes, my brain has thought of nothing. It's been able to reset, clear itself. Jiu-jitsu, right? So I do jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. and you're with an opponent and they're literally trying to strangle you the whole time. And I'm like, how do I strangle you back? My whole focus on don't get strangled. Don't get tapped out, roll them over, strangle them. And at no point am I going, didn't I do my taxes today? Because my brain's like, mm. oh, you're going to die. Um, so I, <laughs> yeah, I literally force my brain to relax all of the other thinking bits mm. by forcing it to only be able to do one thing. How many of your friends have your number in case of a zombie <laughs> apocalypse? Because in terms of like people you want around you when disaster strikes, the kite surfing jujitsu yeah. nano scientist is probably top of the list. Do you reckon? 
I reckon you're like the Liam Neeson of like kid science. You've got cool. a particular set of skills. Yeah, well, maybe they'll, you know, if the aliens do come in, let me know. I might be useful <laughs> for civilization. Um, only if they've got a gi on there when I can strangle them with the gi. It's really not that yeah. practical. Can we get this alien a gi? Yeah. She's absolutely brilliant yeah, with it. totally. Is it, is it like exhausting though? Is it exhausting physically? It is exhausting physically. And I think people like us who are very busy mm. actually struggle to be properly tired because we're, yeah. we're always running on adrenaline. We're always, and so for me, being physically exhausted is a great way for me to chill my mind, but mm. also sleep really well. Um, and, you know, I feel that we're, society is putting pressure on us to be able to meditate, right? Everybody's supposed to, everybody's supposed to yoga and meditate yeah. right now because that's how you are in touch with your inner self. I am so grateful that there are people in touch with their inner self. <laughs> that is, I don't want to sit in a room by myself and try not, I just yell at myself, basically. It makes me more agitated. So people feel guilty that they can't meditate and mm. then they're in a worse state because, and it's this horrible cycle. Some people, meditation is for them. I'm so grateful. It is not my thing. Because sometimes you shouldn't deep dive into your own head. No. Not by yourself. Not by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> At most of the yeah. time. I wonder what's in there. Oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so I think everybody, it's again like finding your superpower. It's mm. finding the thing that works for you. And it's going to be different for different people. And if meditation is your thing, that is great. But if it's not, don't feel guilty that you weren't able to do it that way. Mm. Like there's a whole bunch of other things, including sport, that you may not have thought about as actually being your mental switch off to be able to help relax you. Because there is that thing, and um, maybe I don't think it's just a New Zealand society thing, but you know that that distance between sport and science we've got science and sport science but uh, you know you're either a geek or a jock totally which seems very outdated and yet still it quite it persists doesn't it i talk to so many of our young boys especially in our lower socioeconomic communities and all they want to be is a famous rugby player when they grow yeah, up of course that's all i wanted to be when i <laughs> and you're like that's cool the odds are pretty slim and it's a really short career if you were a famous engineer you know you could yeah. build solutions and so one of the things we teach is the physics of rugby yeah, so right. we teach so we teach the kids that the best mathematicians are our rugby players because if you're throwing a ball on a windy day and you've got to go to the goal you don't throw it straight and the kids like no you throw it at an angle because the wind is coming in this way and i'm like cool you just did trigonometry in your brain like people need calculators to do that and you did it without um on a when it's raining you don't run the same because you know you'll slide differently on the pitch mm. cool that's friction right and so we we try and get these kids to understand that they're the best scientists and mathematicians because they're doing it on the fly in their sport so i have this big thing about imagine if we celebrated our scientists like we do our sports heroes and imagine mm. what our kids would aspire to want to be like and also imagine if our sports heroes started talking about all the science that they use in their sports every day because we definitely disconnect them. Mm. And I think if we want our kids to dream high, we've got to show them what their dreams might look like and all the stuff that goes into that. So, yeah, I wish our scientists were celebrated. Like we've got a couple, like we've got the Brian Coxes and stuff, mm. but... I think we've got a long way to go. To I mean, well, we've got you, which not to, again, throw a compliment at you, but I think when Thank you think you. of New Zealand science and celebrating, you're pretty up there, aren't you? But shouldn't we have 100 different scientists and engineers? Oh, that's way too many, places? mate. We've barely got, you know, <laughs> got to get, we've got a thousand all blacks. We can't have at least 10 scientists. So, yeah, that's a, that's a dream of mine to actually have this conversation. How do we celebrate? are smart people and smart can be in different ways not necessarily academic mm. so that our kids want to grow up aspiring to be like somebody like them and that might be sporty and that's cool eating fried chicken in the shower how do we keep the chicken dry 
Science. You aren't making a difference. You're also swimming against the tide a bit. Totally. But that's like, how do you, how do you keep yourself going? How do you fuel the passion when it comes? Because I'm, I, I'm under no illusions. I'm not saying anything about New Zealand society. I mean, in the world, like that, what you're doing is going against the tide. So when that wave comes, uh, and you don't kite surf over it, yeah. You know, what what do you do to keep yourself going forward? I cry. <laughs> <laughs> I do sometimes. Yeah, that's no, cool. So there are mean people out there. There yeah. are really mean people out there who don't agree with what I'm doing, and because I am shaking, you know. It's very, here's my ivory tower. This is the way it was supposed to be. You're, you're telling everybody they can be something. That's not the way the world works. You know, I get all of this. There's a lot of resistance to what I do. And some people are very, very mean about yeah. it. Um, and I used to cry a lot about it. I used to sit and read the tweets oh, and read no, the no. letters that people, I know, but you can't help it, yeah. right? Don't read the comments. People yeah. would say, I'm like, oh, just one. No. And they're like, what? And then you'd read them looking for a good one. Oh. People don't write good comments. Only people who want to write mean stuff write the comments. And then mm. I'd read all this stuff and I'd take it so personally. And I'd be like, I'm going to quit this nana girl thing. Everybody hates me. Um, and so I went through a whole phase of crying a lot. Um, and then actually my husband came up to me. He said, why are you valuing the opinion of somebody that you don't even know it's wise words and it helped me to actually take things into context so i now may read stuff that is mean about me but mm. i don't have to value that stuff mm. and i think that's a big difference so be open to criticism for sure because if you only listen to the nice stuff you live in your bubble where you know you become one of those people that mm. thinks they're great um but actually value where people are coming from and what their background is and it doesn't mean you have to listen to them and it doesn't mean you have to value what they say. And that was a big lesson for me, getting thicker skin and not being so personally affected by negativity. What's the science community's uh, reaction to you? Pests. <laughs> fair enough. Some no, of the fair ones enough. Who, I don't want to. I don't want. So they're probably some of the biggest ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to my face. Oh, face. Especially when I was an academic. Not all of them, but definitely for some people. I had one academic come to me. And he has been highly celebrated. And he came up to me and he said, if you want to be a high school teacher, just quit this profession and be a high school teacher. Oh. And I was like, cool, okay. And it was really like he was basically saying, you shouldn't be here Mm. at university if all you want to do is interact with kids. And what I was trying to say is, well, we need to bring everybody with us and we need to communicate at all levels. And I had another... Why should kids be smarter? (laughs) (laughs) And I had another professor say to me... um, Oh, yeah, there's some people in the system because it, it's shifting, you know, what I'm trying to do. Somebody said, um, you're trying to make it easy for the public. Mm. And you've got to understand that we, we it took a long time for us to get here mm. and it's not supposed to be easy. So don't simplify it because then everybody will think they can be one of us. <laughs> and I remember that whole one of us yeah. being the conversation. And I was just like, one of us. Like, it's not us and them. Mm. Like, we're all in this. Like, you're not going to fix all the problems for the world. Like, we're all in this. And if we create this jargon and these barriers, you do make it us and them. And that's one of the challenges around the lack of diversity in, in the scientific profession. I remember those two comments from people I worked with, people mm. I were, you know, who were both very high up in the system. I was like, wow, this is coming from you. This is hard. And not, this is not a broad statement. This is just a couple of outliers in mm. the system who even my own profession didn't 
appreciate what I was doing and didn't see the value of it and felt that it cheapened our roles as academics too. Is there, is there a moment when someone says something to you like that where you go, I could just choke you out right now? I could just jujitsu you into the ground? Do you know, I wish it was. I don't get angry, I get sad. Yeah. So I take it like, oh, I'm failing. Like I really take it deep. And so I wish I was that person because I'd be yeah. like, screw you, I'm going to struggle you. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. instead I'm like, oh, you must, what I'm doing must be terrible. Oh, man. And so then I take it all and I go home and I cry and I think about it. Um, and then usually I come out and I carry on and I do another day and, you know, but I wish I was that sort of person who could just get angry and be like, no, screw you. Instead, I'm like, oh, you all hate me. <laughs> Which is probably not the right attitude. No, but, um, but it's, I, I think it's a very normal attitude. It's a very human yeah. attitude. Is it, before your husband gave you that great advice, or even with that great advice of contextualizing yeah. uh, comments, like what what helps you bring yourself up? <laughs> Do you know what? I There was one of these academics at work. He was, we joined the university at the same time and he was very successful in what he did. And I was like, Wow you're going so fast in your career and you're getting things that I don't even think you're qualified for. Like, this yeah. is amazing. And I'm like five years behind, you know. So I took him out for coffee and I said, hey, I said, um, I said, I just want to, you know, you're doing really well and i just like to learn from you. And he was like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then um, I said, oh, I said, and I said to him, you know that voice inside your head? And he turned around to me and he said, the one that says I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I did that, right? I did that whole like, what and he's like the voice that tells me i'm awesome and that's when i realized my voice doesn't tell me that every day no and if it did i'd probably do what my he voice does doesn't tell me that every day and so it, for me it was internal reflection on why is my voice inside my head always so negative mm. always so afraid that i'm gonna fail always so making sure everybody's happy when there are people like him who every day tells himself he's awesome, who every day applies to stuff as if he's awesome. And I realize that I'm competing with those people. Yeah. And if I don't tell myself every day that I'm awesome, whether I believe it or not, I'm already at a disadvantage. So he was a great lesson for me in having that voice that every day says, you're amazing at what you do and you do it well. Because before then, everything I did, I would overanalyze and criticize and be like, oh, this sucked and this sucked. And I would never focus on my positive. Mm. I'd always focus on my negatives, which is how we're wired, yeah. right? Yeah. Cavemen, if you eat the berry that kills you, yeah. you better yeah. remember it. So I realized that some people actually have this amazing self-confidence and they reaffirm with themselves every day. And I thought that's actually a really good lesson. Is that your trick for getting to that awesome voice or being able to summon it up? Look, I... I'm still not going to look in the mirror and be like, hey. Oh, totally. No, no. But I definitely focus much more on my positives than my negatives than I used to. Because I realize that if I can rewire my brain to actually think about the good that I bring, then I'm more motivated and I get more joy the next day than if all I did was look at all the things I screwed up today and I just focus on the negative. So I think it's, you know, you don't have to tell yourself you're awesome every day, but mm. I think it's great advice for actually making sure you're kind to yourself. Because I think from a science point of view, it's all chemistry, isn't it? You're all still using all the, the chicken to fuel the brain chemistry or whatever that you're eating. Uh, the, <laughs> Not chicken. <laughs> but the, like, and so you're still spending the same amount of energy, right? Totally. So if you spend the majority of the energy on putting yourself down. You'll believe it. Right. Yeah. And you won't apply for stuff because you don't think you're worth it. Yeah. And it's huge. It's Do you think a huge that's a, a big reason why there's a lot of underrepresentation um, in 
not just science, but things where you have to apply for stuff because that inner voice of a lot of people is going, yeah, you probably won't get it. You're not really? awesome. Or so what I find is a lot of people who have that voice won't apply until they have 10 of the things on the list. Right. Whereas those who do have the voice are like, I got half a thing. It's good. I'll put it in. Let's just see. I reckon I can wing it. And, and I see that all the time. And you will know your managers. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, how did they get that job? And you're like, oh, that's right. They weren't qualified. They just threw their name in there. Oh, yeah. was the person you knew who was overqualified is still trying to get that extra certificate to make sure that not only are they prepared, but they're overly prepared. Do you know, do you know how like a lot of us who work in public speaking that have like managers and agents? Mm -hmm. Is that what we've just hired? <laughs> yeah. Are we just hiring people to be like, no, you're awesome. You can totally, <laughs> totally. do this job. I'm putting you forward for this job. I don't know if I can do it. You can do it. Totally. <laughs> yes. So I, you know, and it's a really good lesson because we don't go into other people's heads. Mm. And I think actually if you see inside some people's heads you'll realize that it may be very different than yours and you're putting yourself down mm. and all you're doing is holding yourself back now uh, we do this for every episode um do you have anything that you would like to share on the show oh goodness great i feel a little overdressed in the show because i do have my shoes on which is very rare no, for I'm, me. i've got slippers <laughs> oh, <I'm. laughs> so look i feel i feel like an imposter Mm -hmm. totally I, I have total imposter syndrome especially as somebody who didn't do well in school to now have all these letters after my name mm. and somebody who's gone and worked for a very high profile university to then have left it to do what I love which brings me joy I think what I've learned is that chasing the status mm. right because it was great to be an academic because I had I had all these you know I worked mm. for a great university I had these great titles if the status doesn't bring you joy. It's not going backwards to do what you love every day. And yeah. that was really important for me to learn and to feel like it's okay for me to want to work with kids. And yeah, I have a PhD in nanotech, but I get joy every single day from doing what I do. And I am okay with that. And so don't go chasing the status. Don't go chasing the big bucks. Don't just actually reflect on what do you actually get joy from every day and can you make it into your career because if you can every day's a fun day it's not work is it it's not work, not work we're not working either. we're literally sitting in a chair we're don't, goofing off eating chicken don't tell r and z that i'm trying to get a season three <laughs> <laughs> dr michelle dickinson thank you so much for coming and sharing fried chicken in the shower and all the best with uh, your nano girl ventures if anybody invented something in school i want to see it all the inventions in life have come from building something in your shed in your own time. That's where innovation happens. Sounds good to finish on. Thank you very much. Thanks, James. Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower was produced by Charlie Bleakley and presented by me, James Nokise. The engineer is Blair Stagpool. The executive producers are Justin Gregory and Tim Watkin. Subscribe to our podcast however you just found this podcast. Or if you're listening on the radio, go to RNZ's podcast page and look for the chicken. And when you're rating us, only give us five stars. Remember, more stars, more chicken. If you want to share your safe space or comfort food, tweet me at James Nokise. If you need support, text 1737. Or for more resources on mental health, check the fried chicken webpage on the RNZ website. Faftailava Matewa. 
or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 